0: Hello there, listeners. I'm bringing you another bonus episode about my novel, A Tumbling Down, whose serialization begins in just a few days. So subscribe now. Go to sarahenlickeywilson.com forward slash store to find out about how to do that. But today, I have, rather than an excerpt from the story, a special guest, namely Dad, who is in fact in the process of reading the book right now. And Dad, you have made it through the first 6 chapters out of 18 and um so yeah i'd like to get some of your um your uh impressions of it so far as well as your own questions and curiosities about where this book came from
1: well now sarah at least through these initial third of the book i had the yogi berra feeling of deja vu all over again tell me <laughs> Where exactly this book came from, as if I didn't recognize.
0: Well, uh, not the plot so much, but very much the setting is, in fact, um, based on Delhi, New York, where I did my second half of my growing up years and where you were a pastor in Delaware County at the north end of the Catskill Mountains. And although New York, uh, especially the city, is a much enshrined in literature place, these um, forgotten rural pockets of upstate are not so much. And so, you know, there's there's the old trope, trope write what you know, but Actually, uh, you know, I wrote the memoir about our time in Slovakia. And when I was getting towards the end of that process, I went back to upstate New York for a visit. You know, and we left from upstate New York to go to Slovakia. And having been away from it for so long, it struck me entirely fresh as a unique place. You know, wherever you grow up is just your template of normalcy. And for the first time, I was seeing it with a little bit of distance on it and seeing how, you know, weird and unique it is. any place on the earth is weird and unique as long as you have the eyes to see it. So I have to, as part of it was wanting to give that pocket of the world as well as my own experience, some, you know, artistic expression afresh.
1: Well, yeah, there's so many, uh, it's interesting too for me to see your impressions of that time and place through your memories of life there as a childhood and young adult. That was very interesting for me. Also, some of the fictionalizations and so forth uh, reminded me of various personalities that we have known and things like that. Though I was surprised that there has been no mention yet of maple syrup or of trout fishing in the Delaware River.
0: Well, I can promise you that maple syrup will play a very important role upcoming beyond the part that you have read. But I have to say fishing entirely, um, that one got away. (laughs) (laughs) That one got away.
1: Yeah, that was one of my great passions. When we lived there, I learned to tie my own flies and cast dry flies for brown trout in the Delaware River and brought them home and we smoked them and such. It was really cool.
0: Yeah, I remember that. We actually the parsonage we lived in initially was right on the Delaware. You just crossed the street and shimmy down the the rocks, and there you were.
1: Yep. You know, and then from a later period in my life, uh, I was perplexed, Sarah, to discover the role uh, of the Book of Joshua in this novel, and I really don't. It, the 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 title of the book comes from that Sunday school song and. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came a-tumbling down. Uh, So maybe you could make a few comments about the role of the book of Joshua in this novel.
0: Yes. Okay. I have to, this, this is one of those kind of weird, deep things that I cannot fully account for. So actually I did not grow up with that as a Sunday school song. I I knew like the title of it, but i never sung it. I wasn't even familiar with the tune. It is an old, um, spiritual, uh, Mahalia Jackson's recording is phenomenal. I, I urge you all to go look it up on YouTube or wherever you can find it and listen to it. It's just powerhouse. But tons of people have recorded it. Even Elvis recorded it. That's a little bit strange. Yeah. But... Um... Anyway, so so this is the weird backstory, is that when I was still um, in graduate school, and so this must have been like 2006 or 2007, um, I just got the barest seed of an idea for this novel. And so I just wrote a few scenes, and um, the scenes in the the first couple chapters about Kitty, who's the 11-year-old daughter of the pastor's family, and then Donald, who is the, the pastor himself... Um, I drafted those out and I had Donald right then in a kind of um, mental conflict with his deceased revivalist grandfather, that his grandfather came out of this holiness tradition of revivalist preaching and, you know, was a, a bit of a, a fundamentalist, um, though, you know, an old school one who that was just, you know, that was his natural worldview. It wasn't um y- you know, didn't have the kind of political feeling that it would for later. It was it was a purely spiritual and biblical stance. And so Donald has since um made his move over into the Lutheran tradition and has, you know, kind of accepted modern science and, um, you know, historical criticism and so forth, but he can't shake off this feeling that his, um, more, uh, you know, modern intellectual approach is somehow cheating because he always has his grandfather at the back of his head. But I, at the time, I thought it was kind of boring to do like the usual like dinosaur kind of approach to thing or age of the universe. There's like a an allusion to it. But I was just sort of intrigued by the idea, well, what if what if the problem for him is the Battle of Jericho? And, you know, could you really just march around the city seven times and, you know, and then blow the trumpets and then the walls come a tumbling down? as the song goes, right? That's where the title comes from. And, you know, I just thought that had kind of more possibilities to play with. So anyway, I brought these scenes to my writing group at the time and I said, well, so I, I have this setting and I have a couple of characters and I think, you know, there's obviously a mom and I think there's two little brothers and, but I don't really know where it's going. And then One of the people in my writing group said, Well, why don't you have this happen? And I will not say what this is, but it is a devastating tragedy that horrified and upset me so much. And I said, I could never do that. Um, But I also knew as soon as I was protesting, like, Oh no, that's it. That is exactly what has to happen and what's going to happen. And it scared me so badly that I put the book aside for 15 years. (laughs) And, uh, You have read as far as that devastating tragedy. So don't give it away. No spoilers here for the readers. But um, I believe you had a very strong reaction, about as strong as mine was.
1: Well, Sarah, as your father, knowing you personally, let me tell the whole world. When I got to that point, I was really pissed off at you (laughs) for doing what you did in this story. And I've been upset about it ever since I read it. Uh, now I realize I'm only a third of the way through the book. So we'll see how things go on from there. But I'll tell you, it was a gut punch.
0: Well, I suppose that that means that you were very emotionally engaged with it and people who like, you know, strong stories with dramatic action will be deeply satisfied. But if you are looking for an easy beach read, this is not the book for you.
1: No. Well, I mean, you're you're discussing all sorts of interesting themes along the way. Um, there's a a, a, a di- discussion about Jewish identity that's woven in. I guess that connects in some ways to the Joshua motif. Um, and you mentioned, yes. you know, this Pastor Donald's relationship with his revivalist grandfather, grandfather Abney, right? Is that his name, Abney? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, and the arguments they had back and forth and how they continue to live on in Donald's imagination and memory. And then you use this device uh, with a couple of characters in which you dramatize their their internal dialogues, um, you know, with um, imaginary selves or imaginary characters, and you, you portray it as, as though it's really happening, although it's all happening in their heads. That's kind of engaging and intriguing, too.
0: I can tell you where that one came from. Actually, um, Charles Taylor, the the great scholar of secularism, has this well-known distinction between the permeated self and the buffered self. And he said that, uh, like in the Middle Ages, when people lived, you know, in the, the hosts of the dead and the saints and God and the angels and you know all those things that they had permeated selves so they weren't these atomized individuals like he says modern people are but all these other realities were always forming their identity and he said that people today taylor says that people are buffered self that they're they're more walled off and they you know their identity construction is entirely their own kind of private project and um I think there's probably a a lot of merit to that to some degree, but I think I more fundamentally disagree with it because I think people are constantly being permeated. They just nowadays are probably permeated by less worthy existential interlocutors like, you know, pop stars or characters on tv shows or you know pop boiler novels that you know you can read in a day or something and so uh I, one of the things i wanted to show is how these characters have all these um, alternate selves or alternate interlocutors that are actually part of their experience of being alive and i think for all of us you know we we aren't just ourselves and then there are people outside of us but there are all sorts of people haunting in us all the time and raising questions and interfering with, you know, my own indigenous thought processes. No, there there's all these selves at work inside of myself. And so, like you said, I, I dramatize it a bit externally and I never get into any questions about what is the nature of their reality because it's not, that is not a meaningful question to the way the story unfolds. The fact is these characters like Donald with his grandfather or Kitty with her council, so-called, or Carmichael, the mom with the alternate versions of herself that might have been, are all their real experience of being alive and trying to make sense of their own lives. Yeah,
1: yeah it's a it's a very intriguing uh, way to explore issues of personal identity in the contemporary world. Yeah, very good, sir. Yeah, I enjoyed reading it so far, and I'll actually finish reading it sometime this summer.
0: All right, and you, listeners, you should know this is this is big because Dad never reads fiction. It's a joke in the family that the only works of fiction he has read were *War and Remembrance* in 1981 and *The Boxcar Children*. When I gave it to you for Christmas one year, because you remembered enjoying it as a child, right? So in the past 45 years or so, that's this is now your third work of fiction.
1: Yes, and I said that when I retired, I would finally have time to read fiction. And you're holding me to that.
0: (laughs) Uh, But I really had to hold you to it. You have been, been struggling to find time to fit it in. So, yeah. Anyway, oh, and I just wanted to say one more thing going back to to Joshua. So like you said, this idea for the Battle of of Jericho being a central part of the book, you know, came to me 15 years ago. And then, you know, it was many years later when the idea of the commentary came up that I found out about first and that you ended up writing. And actually, uh, you know, although it starts for Donald with the Battle of Jericho, you will see much more of the Book of Joshua in the rest of the novel. And so part of my... my, uh, thought experiment in the, in the book too was, can I take this for me least fruitful book of the entire biblical canon and make it become a source of of um, life and interpretation and meaning for this beleaguered family? So as you uh, go on through it, keep your eyes open. Joshua will be coming back again and again.
1: Okay. He comes back like a bad dream, recurring back <laughs>
0: No, the point is that it it's it becomes helpful, but you know maybe it is because they undergo these extreme circumstances that this extreme book becomes helpful. Right. but don't worry, nobody is advocating um genocide or harem warfare in this book. That's not how uh, Joshua becomes fruitful for them.
1: Actually, Sarah, I see a lot of the Lutheran theology of the cross uh, percolating under the surface of the narrative, so I'm looking forward to the conclusion.
0: Yes. Well, good. That, that would be the, the highest success then. So, well, again, if you would like to join in the summer serialization of A Tumbling Down, hop on over to sarahenlinkeywilson.com forward slash store and have a look. The book as such will be published towards the end of the year. And um, at that point, Dad and I will come back with a further discussion after he has completed the whole thing and maybe is a little less angry at me for what I did.
1: Yes, yeah, So you can count on that. I'll be, okay. I'll be nice.
0: Okay. (laughs) All right. Thanks. Bye.